0: All right, hey, if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hand? We'd love to put one in your hands this morning. And uh, this is our free gift to you. As we get started, we'd love to give out Bibles. Once you get it, if you turn with me to Luke chapter 15, and uh, we had a great week. Good morning, Uh, first Sunday of two services, all people's church. I'm blown away by how many people are in this room and how many people were at the 9 o'clock service. So, man, just in time, two services. Uh, We had a great first service. So, we had a great week at our church. We went on a three day fast from Tuesday to Thursday, and some of you joined us for our worship night, and it was awesome just taking time to get before God, to adore Him, to be at His feet, to listen to Him, and move with the Spirit. And man, this is a worshiping church. I love being a part of this body because you guys are passionate worshipers. So we're going to be doing that more as the months progress. But we are so excited to jump into a series this morning called The Partying God. And this is a series that's been on my heart for some years. I've been just waiting for God to release me to speak on it. And it's very close to my heart because... I needed this series when I was a young man. You see, I, I remember distinctly when I was 12 years old sitting in my church in Round Rock, Texas, 100-year-old church, and watching as our kind and scholarly pastor took a transparency and put it on the overhead projector. Anybody remember those? Okay, some of you guys actually remember those. And, and he put up the transparency on the overhead, and he started to talk about the first tabernacle of the Old Testament. And he went from from item to item explaining about the type of materials, the acacia wood and the dugong curtains and the interwoven tapestries made of mixed fibers. And I remember sitting there watching the overhead, listening to his voice going, I do not think that I could be more bored. And so I made up games. I, I learned to like play all these kind of games with my fingers. I, uh, I had a calculator watch. So I played a lot. Anybody ever have a calculator watch out there? Okay, if you still have one, put your hand down. We, uh, I learned to play all kind of little games. I, I, I would draw. Sometimes when my parents weren't looking, I would pass notes. I'd even see how many times I could pop my knuckles in one service. I did anything to try to entertain myself, but I want to tell you that through those experiences, I came to this reality that I thought church was pretty boring. And thus I thought Christianity was pretty boring. Now it was about this time that my cousin moved from California, now you gotta understand, I'd always had a deal for California. And my cousin, who was two years older than me, moved from California to Texas. Now, because he had no friends when he got here, he would hang out with me, his younger cousin. And I want to tell you, I totally idolized him. I had never seen anything so cool. He was the first person I ever saw with that sun-bleached hair that went over one eye. And he'd flip it like this. Right, You guys, some, some of you remember that. He was the first person I ever saw with shaved sides, but long overflopping hair. A- a- and he didn't wear kind of the dull colors we had been wearing in Texas. He showed up in all neon colors. He lit up the room when he walked in and first person I ever saw wearing Vans. He introduced me to, and not just any Vans. These Vans had no shoelaces and they were the black and white checker Vans. So he was the embodiment of cool. And I remember one day he invited me down to my uncle's house and my uncle had this detached garage. And so it was just us two getting to hang out. It was our pad and half of it was uh, devoted to a pool room. So, you know, here we are, 12, 13 years old. You know, I'm playing with my cool California kid. And I even remember the song that was playing. This is going to date me. It was David Lee Roth's song. This must be just like living in paradise. Wow. And I mean, it, I thought this is it. I have arrived. And then my cousin started talking to me about the parties he would go to in California. And I thought it was like a dream world. I had only seen these parties on TV. But then he started explaining about the drinks he was drinking. Started getting a little uncomfortable. Then he started telling me about the girls he was hooking up with. And all of a sudden I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, hey, hey, I'm a Christian. And God has rules against those things. I cannot drink. I cannot hook up with girls. I cannot have premarital sex. That's against God's rules. And he looked at me. Like I was so dumb. And he said, Robert, if God is so good, this God you're talking about is so good, then why would he want to keep me from having fun? And you know what? I didn't have an answer for him. His question just totally stopped me in my tracks. He said, if God is so loving, why would he keep these wonderful gifts from me? And it just sent my little seventh grade mind reeling. You know, I think if we were honest, that a lot of us have, have had those kind of questions. Have you ever had that kind of question before? If God is so good, why does he want to keep me from the things that look so fun and exciting in the world? You know, I don't think this question catches Jesus off guard. And in fact, I think it's one of the main reasons why he tells one of his most famous stories and it's found in Luke chapter 15. And I want you to look at it with new eyes today, starting in verse 11. So let's look at it right now. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and he set off for a distant country where he squandered his wealth in wild living. So let me tell you, when I first heard my cousin talking about the parties, the drinks, the experiments with different women, for the first time, and then he asked me the question, Why wouldn't a loving God want me to have all that kind of fun? For the first time, this seed was planted in my heart. This lie was planted in my heart. And it began to grow and grow. And here was the lie. I started thinking, man, it's a bummer that I became a Christian at such an early age. Because I'm going to miss out on all the fun. Now hear me, I I I knew that it was good to eventually become a Christian, because I knew that Christians go to heaven. And I wanted to go to heaven. Man, I had heard about that place down below, that hell place, with, uh, with the the weeping and the ganashing of teeth. And and I'd, I didn't want to go there. Some of you were wondering, if does he really think it's gnashing. I didn't want to go to that place, and that's really serious, where the, the fire is never quenched. I, I, I didn't want to go there, but I did think, man, it's such a bummer that I got saved early on because it would have been so much better to just live my life and have my party like those guys and enjoy things and then right before you get to, to breathe your last breath and you're about to die, you go, oh Lord Jesus, save me, and then, whoop, you go up to heaven. But you had a fun life. And I thought, what a bummer that I became a Christian so early on. I wonder if you've ever had that thought. I wonder young people If you're having that thought right now, I wonder if some of you in this room feel cheated because you're a Christian. And I believe that that's not just a few of us, that that's the age-old question that the people of faith had to deal with. And in fact, we see it at the very beginning of the Bible. If you'd put your little tabby thing in your Bible in Luke 15 and turn over to to chapter one of the Bible or or maybe put your hand there and just keep it there. But turn over to Genesis chapter one, because I want to show you that this is, this is the oldest trick in the book. This little lie that the enemy speaks and plants in our hearts. And I want you to understand that some of us have bad theology. Theology is basically just a fancy word for the study of God. I, I had bad theology I started thinking that God was holding out on me, that God was keeping his best from me. And we got to go back to the beginning to understand who God really is. In verse 26 of chapter one, it says, then God said, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth. And over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth. And every tree that has fruit with it, they'll be yours for food. And then skip back down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Now, I want to tell you, you think of the most generous, the most loving, the most extravagant dad you've ever seen. You know, he wants to set his kids up. He wants to give them their rooms. He wants to, to decorate it neat. He wants to take them on vacations. He wants them to have all the best food to eat. He wants to set them up for success. You take that and multiply it by 10,000 and that's Father God. He he created his children because he wanted them. He made Adam and Eve because he wanted wanted children. I want to tell you, if you're in this room today, it's because God wanted you. Your your parents might not have wanted you, but God wanted you. So he surprised them. (laughs) Oh, sorry. You're here. It's because God wants you. He wanted them. And then he said, the first thing he does is he blesses them. And then he gives them responsibility. He said, you rule over this whole thing. And by the way, I'm going to give you everything you need to eat. And then he said, this is very good. But watch this, watch what happens next. We're going to skip over to chapter two. And I want you to see in verse 16, it says, and then the Lord commanded the man, you are free, I want you to underline that you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I I want to tell you that one of the main lies that the enemy has for us is if, if you really give your life to God, you're not free says, if you walk in the world and just do what you want, then you're free. No, God said you're free to eat from any of this. God came to set people free. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you. Free. God sets people free. But when we walk in the world, the Bible says that we become a slave to sin and you become controlled by the enemy. So the devil wants to deceive you and say, hey, if you gave your life to God, he's going to take all your freedoms away. But if you follow me, you're free. No, you get beat up. The Bible says the enemy came to steal, kill, and destroy. Look what it says next, though. It says this. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you'll certainly die. Think about it. There's this garden with so many trees, so many grapefruit, all these wonderful things. And then there's this one tree. And God says, don't eat from that. He gives a rule. He gives a parameter. And I know that some of you in here were like me. You didn't want to know any rules. You didn't want to have any rules. Well, well, why did he put some rules out there? God, why did you have to put rules? I want to tell you that you like rules in this room. I, I, I want to tell you, every person in here likes parameters. Let me, let me tell you one you like. You like that it's illegal for people to drive their cars fast down sidewalks because when you're walking along, you don't want to be like Frogger. I know that dates me again, but Frogger was this little frog that tried to get across and he'd always get smashed by cars. So you're glad that when you're walking, strolling down the sidewalk with your girlfriend or your little family, that you're not having to look over your back, 18 wheeler down the sidewalk. Here's another rule you like. You like that you can't smoke on airplanes. You like that when the stewardess comes and gives you your peanuts, you look at your neighbor, he doesn't go, hello, and just blow it right in your face. And then the smoke can't go anywhere because you're 30,000 feet up in an enclosed area and it's just hovering right over you. You like that we can't steal in the United States. So you're not walking down the street, you got your nice new hat on, you got your shoes, and someone comes and says, I like that hat, and just takes it and takes your shoes, right? You, we like parameters. Why? Because they protect us. And that's why God sets up rules. It's not to keep you from being free. It's to protect you. And so he said, I don't want you to eat from this one tree. Why? Because you will die. And so that's the rule. Now the enemy comes and he brings in a deception. He says, no, that one tree. No, look, he's trying to hold out on you. That's actually the best tree. If you eat from that tree, you're going to be so happy. You're going to be so full of joy. Watch this. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Who is the serpent? The serpent is the devil. Satan was coming after them. He was, that's the French name for Satan. He was coming to get them. And so he came and he was crafty. He had this deceit. And he says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we we may eat from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die. See, he's totally lying. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. Let me ask you a question. Did Eve end up dying? Yes. Yes. I don't think anyone in here has met Eve. It's because she's dead, right? She died. She ate the fruit and she ended up dying. Satan came and said, he's holding out on you. No, he wasn't. He was trying to protect her. But here's what the enemy does. Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. See, Satan wants to make sin. He wants to make the world's party look so Good. But in the end, it leads to death. Let's jump back in to our story here. I, I, uh, I got deceived. I got deceived by the enemy. I, I, I started to, to, to watch stuff, you know, because my, my cousin was saying, hey, you're missing out. So what I did is I started watching shows that, that were bad for me. And I started watching more violence and, and more sexuality, but, but soon it led to darker and darker stuff. And then, and then I, I started hanging out with, with people who, you know, I, I knew I shouldn't hang out with. They weren't like me. You know, I, I might not have gone off to a far country, but I went far from my family's values. And then those people started doing things that I knew I shouldn't do, but because they were doing them, I thought, you know, what? I'm just going to try it a little. And, and then I, I started saying, you know what? man, those girls, they're really good looking and that looks really exciting. And, and, and certainly there's no way I can wait to marriage. So I started just sticking my toe in things, right? I just started, you know, I'm just going to try a, a little bit of this. But you know, you never can stop with just a little bit. You know, there's this thing, I, I, one of our pastors, Gino, talks about the law of diminishing returns. And what that means is this, you, you, you never just are satisfied with just a little bit of sin. Right? So, so you go to sin and you say, I'm just going to stick my toe in this thing, right? And, and you, the first day you do, it's so exhilarating. It's so exciting. You're, woohoo, wow! Right? And, and then you walk away and, and, and you go, oh, God, I can't believe I did that. And then the next week it starts tempting you again. And so you go, you know what? That was, all I did was stick my little toe in there. And so you go and you put your toe in, but you don't get that same high. You don't get that same exhilaration. And so you have to do it a little more, so you put your whole foot in, and then wow,, this is exciting right there whoa, I can't believe I did that, and you, and you walk back away, and so you go and you go, "You know what, I put my whole foot in, but I was still able to walk away, so I'm going to go back and put my foot in, and you put your your toe, and then you put your foot, but then you don't feel anything, so you're like, you know what?" I, I guess I need to put my, my leg in. Cause I'm not feeling that same thing. And then you put your whole leg in. And you're, wow, you know, and you put your leg in and then you pull out and you're feeling good. But then the next time you jump in, you know, and you're, I- I'm in here. This is exhilarating. Every time you have to do more and then you get out and then you come back and man, that was really, I was getting really excited. Every time you're getting deeper and deeper, you might've started with just a swimsuit issue. But then you're actually into pornography and then it's getting darker and darker. And then you jump back in and up to your waist and you don't feel anything. So then you dive in. And all of a sudden you're up to sin and your eyeball. It might have started with a little puff, a little experimentation. But now all of a sudden you're into these heavy things and all of a sudden, oh, I'm over my head and you're trapped. It's the law of diminishing returns. And it's the enemy's scheme. Because he never is just going to let you stick your toe in. His desire is to destroy you. It's to enslave you. It's to ruin you. And listen to what happened to the sun back in Luke 15, verse 13. Not long after that, the son got together. All he had, he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth. See, the enemy's trying to wipe you out. He's trying to make you squander everything in wild living. He, he, he's not going to give you back. He wants to take everything away from you in wild living. You know, to us, it looks fun to jump into the wild living. I thought, man, you know, I wanna be wild. I wanna be the wild man, right? But you know what the the Greek for wild is? It's asotos. Put that Greek definition up. What it means is it means riotous. You don't wanna be in a riot. You don't wanna be in a riot where people start throwing things through windows and destroying them. Riots are where people get trampled and they die. It's lawlessness, or it's reckless. You know, it sounds fun to be wild, but when you start talking about recklessness, we, we're, one of our churches in England is really suffering. One of the guys I discipled, he's suffering right now because his associate pastor was just killed by a reckless driver. It destroys lives. And that's what happened to the son. Just keep looking at this with me. Verse 14, after he had spent everything. See, the enemy wants to take everything you have. There was a severe famine in the whole country. Folks, I want to tell you that there's a famine outside of the house of God. There was a famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to the citizens of the country. He sent him to his field to feed pigs. Look, he he used to live in the father's house. His father was this wealthy man with this estate. He had land. He had servants. He had a full table. And now, what's this son? He's been humiliated. He's been reduced to cleaning and scrubbing little toilets with his bare hands. He's down with the pigs. Jewish people couldn't even have pigs because they were known as so dark, so foul, so gross. And now it says this. It says he was looking at the pigs and longing to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. He didn't even get to eat the corn on the cob that had already been eaten. It was just that little cobby thing. That's what the pigs were eating. And he's jealous of the pigs. You see, that's what the enemy wants to do. That is his plan. When you say, "No, God, I don't want to walk with you. I'm going to go my own way," that's the enemy's plan. You're falling right into the plan because he wants to take you and just walk you right into that, so that you're down in the mud, you're humiliated, you feel like a loser, you're disgusted. Let me tell you what happened to me. I remember hitting rock bottom. I got deeper and deeper into sin, and one night, I'm 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 with my girlfriend, a girl I should have never dated. I'm with this girl. I'm with some friends. I should have never been hanging out with these friends. And we go and we break into a house. We break into this abandoned house and we got all our party stuff with us. And we're in this house. There, of course, there's no electricity in this house because we broke in and it's totally abandoned. And so we're sitting in the dark on the floor. Every car that drives by, I think it's police, so I'm scared out of my mind. And we're doing all kinds of dumb things. And I'm looking at this girl who's my girlfriend going, what? And I'm looking at these friends going, how did I end up here? And I'm feeling all jacked up. And all of a sudden I look and I'm like, I am totally disgusted with myself. Is this the life I wanted? Is this where this is all leading to? I want to ask you, have you ever just been disgusted with your life? Have you ever just woken up and go, man, I'm totally disappointed. Is this what life's all about? Maybe it's not as dramatic as me. Maybe you're not in an abandoned house where you could get thrown in jail and you're scared and you're disappointed and you're disgusted. But maybe you've been running after something to fill your voids and fill your needs and you just look at yourself and go, is this this it? Is this all that life has to offer? Are you serious? I'm such a loser. So, what happens next? It says this Luke 15, 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And I am starving to death. You see, he came to his senses. Let me tell you how I came to my senses. It's pretty interesting. Two men. Two men intervened in my life. The first one was Garnet. He was my age. I get this letter in the mail from Garnet. He was a kid from my church. He writes this letter to me and says, dear Robert, you call yourself a Christian, but you live like a pagan. And you're destroying your reputation and you're destroying your life. And oh, I was mad. Oh, I was so mad. I took out a piece of paper. I took out a pen. And with all my forcefulness, I wrote, mind your own business. You don't know me. You don't understand me. You don't understand what I'm doing. And I sent it and I mailed it. And as soon as I mailed it, all of a sudden conviction ooh, came over me. Ooh. It's like, like in Lion King when he sees Mufasa. Ooh, Mufasa. Ooh. Say it again. Mufasa. It's this conviction came over me. And I thought, I got to change my life. He's absolutely right. So I said, I'm going to give this church thing one more chance. So I signed up for this youth retreat. And at this youth retreat, this new guy comes to be our youth leader. His name was Steve. And he showed up. And man, he just had this joy. And he was so happy and he just got married and he couldn't stop talking about his new wife. And I thought, that's the kind of relationship I want. Not what I have, what he has. And so he made us all feel so loved and we were having such a good time at church. What? And, and then halfway through the retreat, he, he, Steve goes, hey, Robert, I'd like to spend a little time with you. And, and, and so let's go and get some ice cream. And I'm like, we left the retreat to go get ice cream. I'm like, how did he do that? I still don't know how he did that, but we left the retreat to go get ice cream. And we're walking out and there's two gothic kids sitting outside and they're all dark and, and, and all black and just kind of sitting there all gloomy. And Steve goes, hey, let's walk over to them. And he walks over. And he's like, hey, guys, my name's Steve. How are you doing? And they're looking at him like, why in the world would you be talking to us? But he was so kind. And he started asking them questions. And these kids start warming up to him. And I'm like, how, how are you doing that? That is impossible. And then he starts talking to them about Jesus. And I'm like, you can't do that. You, these guys are dark and gloomy and, and all of a sudden they they're in this totally engaged conversation and my jaws is just dropping watching Steve and we walk off from them and i my mind is blown because the juxtaposition between Steve and his joy and his lightheartedness and his love and these kids in gloom and darkness was just it was deafening to me i, I was just astounded by the difference between the two and we walk off and Steve looks at me and he goes Robert you're a leader And you're going to either lead people straight to the pit of hell, or you're going to lead them to the joy of Jesus. It's time for you to choose. Hello. You know, and I kind of was shell-shocked, shell-shocked and kind of staggered back. But I, I, I want to tell you, that instant, I made up my mind. I want to be like you, Steve. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want the joy. I want that boldness that you have. I want to be like you. And it made me come to my senses. And I said, God, I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. And that's what began my little journey from that point. Look at what the Bible says in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? But here I'm starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. I want to point out one word. And if you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. And it's not a popular word today. And that word is sin. That word is sin. You see, the young man saw that he had sinned. I want to tell you that in today's society, the word is tolerance. I I want to tell you, you can go and look at anything you want. In the old days, you, if you wanted to go and look at, at some, uh, some bad images, you had to go into the gas station and kind of embarrassingly say, hey, behind that black stuff, give me one of those magazines. Nope. Now it's just coming at you. It's free. It's accessible. You can watch what you want on TV. You can do what you want on the Internet. You can look at it in your pocket. I want to you can smoke what you want. I want our government is making these things legal. You can do almost anything. You can sleep with who you want. It doesn't matter if you're married. I mean, who's getting married anymore? It doesn't even matter what gender they are. You do what you want. Here's the one thing you can't do. You can't call someone a sinner. You can't say something's sin. That's the one thing you can't do today is say that's a sin. Are you with me? And here's what happened. This young man saw that he was in sin. And he realized, this sin is killing me. And I want to tell you, until you understand that your sin is separating you from God. Until you understand that your sin is killing you. And until you call sin a sin. You see, I was in sin up to my eyeballs, folks. But every time that conviction would come, I'd push it down, right? And say, you know, but what I'm doing is fun. Or I'd say, hey, but that's what they're doing on TV. Or that's what the world's doing. Or or that's even what my Christian friends are doing. I want to tell you, you can always find someone that's doing something to justify your sin. And so you can just push it down. But that son, he said, I have sinned. And he realized my sin breaks the heart of God. And you see, our sin, the Bible says it separates us from God. For all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But God doesn't leave us in our sin. He doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to set us free. And that's why Jesus died on the cross, men and women. He died on the cross because he didn't want you to live in your sin. He didn't want you to have to pay for the price of your sins. And so he died on the cross. And the Bible says he himself bore our sins on his body, on the tree, so that we could die to sin. So Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. And if we would acknowledge, yeah, I see that I have sin in my life. I don't want it. It's keeping me from God's party. Jesus, I can't get rid of the sin. I'm stuck. It's over my head. Would you come and rescue me out of it? And he says, I'm glad you asked. That's why I died on the cross. And when I died, I didn't stay dead. I rose from the dead. I defeated the power of sin and death to pull you into my party. And so the son acknowledges his sin and says, I want to go back to my daddy. It was better there. So watch, this is where the story gets darn good. It says, verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him And was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son. And he throws his arms around him. And he kisses him. You know, we would think, I would think, that a father whose son is rebellious would be sitting in his study, tapping his foot. You know, and the son comes back and he's like, now tell me what you did. Okay? 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 Anymore? Okay? Okay? Okay. Now go to the corner and I'll see you in 20 years. That's not what the father does. The father... Now listen to me. A lot of times when we talk to people about God, they're like, don't, I don't want to hear about God. What has God done for me? Who is God? I'm angry at God. I think if they saw how good he was in this verse, they would change everything because... How does the Bible paint God? It says that he's standing there just looking. He's not sitting back in his study hoping that son comes back so he can give him a tongue lashing. He's standing on the edge of the road going, where's my son? I've been waiting for my son. Where's my boy? Where's Johnny? Where's Jasmine? I see her. I see him. And what does he do? He picks up his robes and he starts running. That's the father. Jesus is talking about the father running to you. That's crazy. Can you imagine the father just taking off running at you? I'd be scared, right? Here he comes. He's running, and what does he do? He doesn't come up and give him a Bible beating. No, it says he throws his arms around. He's wrapping him up. Can't you see the sun? Oh, daddy, don't oh, let me go. You know, and no, I'm not letting you go, boy. He's wrapping. Up. I love you, and he doesn't just stop with a big embrace. Then he starts kissing him. Right? I just see. Him. That's what I do. That's what I do to my boys every night. I mean, some days we have bad days, folks. I have a boy at four, six, and an eight-year-old. It is not always heavenly in my house, okay? But I end every night by jumping on top of them and just go, uh, 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 and I just kiss them, they're like, "Ooh, Daddy, you! Right? Why? Because a kiss is the ultimate form of acceptance and love. And that's what this daddy does. But he doesn't stop here. Watch what happens next. The son says to him in verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, quick, bring the best robe and put him on. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. You know, the world's party was stripping the son of everything. It stripped him of his money. It stripped him of his clothes. It stripped him of his dignity. What does the father do? The son shows up and he says, put a robe on him. Put a robe of royalty back on him. Put a ring on his finger. Give him family authority. Give him sandals so he has a new inheritance. That's a great party favor, by the way. And then he says, and kill the fattened calf. Let's have a barbecue. I, I love it. The father, God's party builds you up. The world's party tears you down. God's party makes you great. The world's party throws you in the sewer. God's party gives you authority and it gives you an inheritance. The world's party is stripping you naked and humiliating you. Oh, folks, are you getting this? I, I, I think this is so important. In fact, I should rename this message party or die, right? That's how important this is. Now, Now, maybe you weren't like me. Maybe you're not as extreme as me. You said, Robert, you know, I never really got into that party scene. Maybe maybe you've more been the kind of goody-goody person. Well, I I think the God of extravagant celebration, the parting God has something to say to you. Let's look at verse 25 here. Because there are two groups of people, right? And and so here's what God says. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and and dancing. And so he called one of the servants over, right? Hey, come here, come here, come here. What's going on in there? And the servant says, your brother has come. He's come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. And he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders and you never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Now, look at what the father says. My son, the father said, You're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Christian, today in this room, those that have been following God, do you still think that all of life's just about what you can earn? You think it's just about you working hard, and if I just work hard enough, then maybe I'll eke by in life? I want to tell you that's not the father's heart. My kids. They live in a nice house because their dad lives in a nice house and he has brought them in. My kids have surfboards to surf in the Pacific Ocean, not because they worked for them and bought them and saved them. No, because I have them and I give them to them. My kids get to go on vacations, not because they saved every little penny and have been mowing lawns at four years old. No, it's because I take them because I'm their dad. My kids get to sit at a full table and eat all they want. Why? Because their dad has a table and their dad has a food. That's how God is. He says, everything I have is yours. I challenge you to meditate on that this week, Christian. That that, that God is saying, hey, I'm not stingy with you. You just want a goat and I want to give you a big fat cow, is what God's saying. That's funny to me. I don't know why no one's laughing. You're just thinking, I just want this little goat. You know, I want my cabrito. And he's no, no, I'm going to give you some veal. You know, I'm going to give you a cutlet. I want to give you some, some fillets right here. I'm just really into beef. Maybe y'all aren't, okay? But, <laughs> but listen to this. Let, 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 let me make my last point. What does God say? He said, we had to celebrate and be glad. What, what did you have to do growing up in life? You know, your parents said, you have to go brush your teeth. You have to eat your green vegetables. You have to go to bed now on bedtime. What, what, what do you have to do as an adult? You have to go to work. You have to pay your taxes. What does God say he has to do? Celebrate. This is good. I, I'd never seen that this until this week. He said, I had to celebrate. Our God is a partying God. And he says, there are just sometimes where I just say, whoa, Gabriel. Angel Gabriel. Whoa, Angel Michael. Stop everything in the world. I got to celebrate. We got to be glad. And he said, some of you don't believe me. But Jesus is explaining what God is like. And if you look a little earlier in Luke 15, he says whenever someone comes home, that there's this party going on in heaven. And the angels, they <gasps> You know, they're going crazy. And I see God just go, woohoo! You know, (laughs) Father God is just dancing around, you know. Watch this. You know, he's doing flips and twists and, you know, original fireworks just going off. He's saying, I had to celebrate. You know, some people in this room have never felt celebrated. You've never felt like people were celebrating you. Maybe you never even had a birthday party. But I want to tell you that when you give your life to Jesus, that all of creation and all of heaven stops. And there is a party. And God is yelling, Sam! woohoo! He's come home! Strike up the celestial bands! Wow! And it is, it's going crazy. God is a God who celebrates. And I think that this is so important that we're going to, devote the next six weeks to looking from Genesis to Revelation so that you can understand that God is a God of extravagant celebration. Let's close our eyes and pray. Today, I believe there's probably, probably some people here that have never known God celebrating over them. In fact, you don't even know if you have a relationship with God. And you said, Robert, if this is really true, God is that good. He wants to celebrate me. He wants to lavish his love on me. He wants to provide for me. Then I want to know him. Well, friend, I want to tell you, it just starts with you inviting him into your heart. That's why Jesus died on the cross for you to pay for the sins. Your sins separated you from God. But if you'll ask Jesus to take away your sin, you'll put your faith in him. He'll come in. He'll give you a new life and you can know this partying God. If you want that this morning, I want to encourage you to just pray a simple prayer with me. You can just repeat right after me. If you say, Robert, I don't know if I really have a relationship with God, but I want to nail that down today once and for all. Just pray right after me. Just say, dear Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you taking away my sin thank you for rising from the dead now come into my heart wash me clean and give me a new life I want to follow you for